live recordings are trusted only to solid state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode number 636 of Category 5 Technology TV. It's so great to have you here. And before we jump into the show, I want to remind you to subscribe to us on YouTube and click that bell to receive the notifications every time we post a new and shiny video. Or when we're live, as a matter of fact, you'll get a notification that lets you know so that you don't miss out. Uh, Jeff, Sasha, last week we talked about uh, USB 3.0 versus USB 3.1 Rev 2. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's in the context of, hey, we want to go with an external unit that is going to be future ready, that is going to be able to give us external storage on a Odroid XU4. So this is a single board computer that fits in my pocket and yet has USB 3.0 with, uh, with the uh, extensions for, uh, for USB-attached SCSI. So the problem with going with USB 3.1, as we kind of talked about, was that the current iteration of the single board computer only supports USB 3.0 with UASP. So do we jump right into the future-ready version that's 3.1 that has uh, 10 gigabits per second, but we can't actually utilize all 10? We can only go to 5 gigabits per second because the, the XU4 only supports up to 5 gigabits per second on USB 3.0. And the votes have come in. Nice. So we had the discussion last week, and we don't have to really have that discussion again. The votes have come in, the the uh, comments have come in, and I greatly appreciate uh, each and every one of you who took the time to to give us your feedback. Can and we, heard, sorry, go ahead, sorry, Sasha. Can I ask? Yeah. It, was it a unanimous answer by chance? It like, wasn't unanimous, okay. but it was really skewed toward. USB 3.1 Rev 2. Ah, future ready. Yes, exactly. And and so, you know, I look at it from the perspective of, well, future ready means, yes, I could get up to 10 gigabits per second in data transfer in the future when 3.1 Rev 2 is available on SBCs. But right now, one, I can't get that on an XU4, but even if I had a single board computer that can support it, Here's the catch. Jeff, Sasha, community, I'm still limited to gigabit Ethernet. Yep. Think about that for a second. So I have my pseudo NAS that I've built, that I've created, that I've in invented and, and created myself based on just a couple of cheaper components. So it's a lot cheaper than going out and grabbing like a Drobo or something like that or a big server that has eight drive bays and I can put all, all of those in there. But you're still limited to the gigabit Ethernet. So when it comes down to it, five gigabits per second data write transfer speeds or 10 gigabits per second, it really doesn't matter because... I'm still writing to it over Samba over a gigabit Ethernet connection. So I'm limited to one. So one-fifth of the lowest speed available to us. However, the, the, uh, the feedback from our community really was forget about eSATA. 
jump right to USB 3.1 Rev 2. That's really what it came down to. Mm-hmm. Any yep. any feedback from you two? Like, Jeff, do you have any thoughts about that? Like, is that... No, I mean, that was the whole point of the discussion that we had last week. I mean, my yeah. thought was to go with a 3.0 because of the eSATA. Um, but, I mean, being future-ready is never a bad thing. And, I mean, with the advancement of single-board computers so quickly evolving, uh, I mean, who knows? You could have that unit for two years, and suddenly two years from now, your single-board computer could be doing what you need it to do. Okay. It but, might happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is the fact that, you know, your your gigabit Ethernet is still stuck at where it is. Yes. So it does make me wonder if there's a way to look at another option for that. Um, yeah. Like, like I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. It's, it's such a, it's even, see how this has become like a really tough question because like the, even if you go with five or 10 gigabits per second, you're still limited to one gigabit per second. So can I just interject? Where is this going to make a difference? Does that sound like a good idea? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So where this is going to make a difference, let's say we install Plex Media Server on our XU4. All right. So we've got H.265 video that is traveling at more than a gigabit per second. Like, just to throw something crazy out there. If it's able to retranscode and stream the video to my gigabit Ethernet, so that my other computers and my tablets and phones on the network are able to stream my video over Plex Media Server, uh, transcode it, then it becomes beneficial. Right. Because the external storage is able to access at a faster speed than the Ethernet. So it's really hard to explain, but does that make sense? So the external storage contains videos that are too high of quality to stream directly to my phone over Wi-Fi, let's say. Wi-Fi is even slower than gigabit, right? So with that device connected directly to the external storage, I'm able to then transcode down using Plex Media Server to a streamable format that is much, much faster for my mobile mobile device. So now I've got an advantage of that very, very quick connectivity to the external device and it can transcode down and stream over my Wi-Fi. Right. That's crazy. So all of a sudden it becomes a benefit. It's not going to really benefit me as far as my local backups go. Right. Because those are still gigabit limited, right? No. I mean, I had asked, is there another option you could use at home for speeding up? And I saw it in the chat room from No Man 5 and he's saying, is there a way to go with like fiber at home? It's like, Fi- wow. Would that speed things up? Yes, because I have unlimited funds. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was going to go with fiber and any other. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that would be that would be a lot faster for sure. Right. That would be ideal. <laughs> but yes. is there any other options out there for the home user that's, you know, they're sitting there going, okay, well, I. Right now, all I have is network cables running through my house when yeah. I'm stuck at the gigabit. But is there another option that is, you know, general consumer grade that would speed things up? Well, Jeff, I think it's it's really just looking at the paradigm and saying, is gigabit enough an, enough for what I'm doing? And the answer is probably yes. Uh, I think what it boils down to, Jeff, is that transcoding feature. 
Right. If I had a, a NAS drive, just a traditional NAS unit on my network that I was trying to grab video from, and the video was traveling at faster, let's say it was, it was a higher bit rate than my network could handle. I don't know that that would really occur but it's a it's a good theoretical situation right but let's just say that you were streaming video that was a higher bit rate than your nas network could like your networking could handle then you would have buffering then you would have streaming issues and things like that um so instead we take the approach of the external storage being connected to a device that can transcode so thinking in the terms of media um, it's then able to stream, and and you know this, Jeff, because you've streamed your Plex media server over the internet. Yep. So you've been able to watch it from anywhere in the world yep. through your device because your Plex media server, which is running on a Raspberry Pi, is transcoding the video to a lower bitrate format than the actual source video. Does that make sense? Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. So. If you were streaming just the source video, you're getting like the maximum bit rate from that video. But if you're transcoding, which is to basically compress it on the fly in real time, you're able to get uh, a much lower bit rate, a, a much lower bandwidth consumption uh, from that video. So right. hopefully similar quality, uh, but a lot less bandwidth as far as the usage goes, like through the network. So you're going to make a big difference there. Still, very interesting. I mean, the funny thing about all this is we had this discussion last week about what option to go with, but at the yeah. end of the day, it really isn't going to have much of a benefit for your normal everyday use. It's pretty specific purposes where you're going to find that slowdown. Yeah. I mean, for the average home user, like say they're using it for multiple redundancy backups mm -hmm. or whatever, they're not going to notice that difference between a 3.0 or 3.1 because of the transfer rate anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's kind of one of those things like chicken before the egg, but at the same time, you know, it's just it's more power, more more speed. <laughs> like <laughs> looking at that feature, like the future ready aspect of it, Jeff. 3.1 Rev 2 will give me up to 10 gigabits per second versus 3.0 will give me 5 gigabits per second. So immediately, I have the ability by simply upgrading from the XU4 to the next gen USB 3.1 Rev 2 compatible SPC mm. to be able to double my bandwidth to the external storage. Right. So it can make a huge difference as far as the capacity goes. So that's what our community has opted for. A couple of folks did make good points that, hey, you know what, you, you're not going to see a big uh, increase in speed, so why not go with the one that has eSATA? And, oh, that's, I, I hate to throw away eSATA because that's what I have, you know, I have an eSATA port on all my systems because that's, you know, the fastest up until now. Six right. gigabits per second by simply plugging in a, an external SATA port uh, cable. Um, so that's been brilliant. But truth is, USB 3.1 Rev 2 is uh, is changing things. USB C is pushing us to a faster standard, and so we do have the the device has arrived. So what we're going to be looking at now this is what uh, this is what the community opted for without actually looking at the device itself. So we've got a, uh, a USB 3.1 Generation 2 Type-C uh, data transfer to the device. So this is 
going to give us up to 10 gigabits per second when we have that capability. The XU4 only has 3.0 with UASP, so I'm only going to get half of the speed, 5 gigabits per second. However, this is future ready. And it's going to take up to four um, disks as well, SATA disks. Perfect. It says HDD. Um, it'll take S, uh, SSDs as well if I wanted to put those in there. Yeah. And what's going to be really interesting about this project, which we're going to be addressing in the new year, is the fact that uh, we're going to be developing software to be able to connect that to an XU4, which is an Odroid uh, single-board computer, something... Again, fits in your pocket. It's the size of a Raspberry Pi microcomputer, and you're going to be able to connect that to it. Um, what's really neat about this device is it is not a RAID device. You're going to learn all about it when we do the actual review. But because it's not a RAID device, it connects to whatever you plug it into as four external hard drives. So with the four drives that I put in there, the computer that I plug it into is just going to see it as four external hard drives. So then it's where do we take it from there? Do we set up a RAID 5? Do we set up a RAID 6? Do we set it up as a ZFS, um, like a Z-RAID or something like that. There are so many options that we can that we can take, and then we're going to be looking at how to set that up as a NAS unit, as a backup unit, as something that can be backed up to that will have some form of redundancy using Linux technology in order to keep it safe from things like ransomware and other threats that are out there for small businesses and and for home users too. I mean, if you've got your home backup. What good is it if ransomware hits one of your computers because the kids open an email and you then lose all the files on your network, right? Yep. That's a big problem. So we're going to be looking at how we can address that issue uh, with this unit as well. So we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I love and it. that's all going to come from that. Yeah. I feel like every time we talk about something new, it's like, oh, that's exciting. I can't wait for that. Oh, it's another thing that's exciting. <laughs> like everything we do just seems to get bigger and better, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps me coming back every week. Oh, fantastic. And uh, speaking of coming back, uh, stick around. We're going to be right back. When we come back, uh, we're going to be looking at the Amazon Fire tablet. And really, the question comes out, hey, when these things are so unbelievably cheap, can they really be as good as an Android tablet? We're going to answer that for you in just a couple of moments' time. Stick around. Welcome back to Category 5 Technology TV. We are talking about fires. What? Not really. And we're talking about the Amazon Fire tablet. Right. And before the break, Robbie asked the question, is it as good as an Android tablet for such a low price point? I yeah. want to even know if it's just as good as my Amazon Fire Stick, which I love. What's, so now what I is want your, the Fire tablet, like, too. What is your pre-review uh, suspicion? Is oh, it better than like an Android? Like, is it as good as an Android tablet? I suspect... It's Amazon... I suspect I'm going to love it. Okay. You think so? I think so, yes. I, I hypothesize that it's going to be excellent quality for its cost. I, I think I have to agree with you simply because it is an Amazon product, but I have a bias against the Fire tablet to begin with. What's that about, Why? Jeff? Because of eBooks. That's the Kindle. 
but still, it's the same deal when it comes to reading books, is it not? Because I looked at I looked at one for Prime Day, and or not Prime Day, um, Black Friday, and when it came to reading eBooks, it would only do the Kindle ones. Well, what are you looking for, Kobo? You're trying to get Kobo on your? Yeah, I have a Kobo because I have a bunch of eBooks that I've downloaded from other sources. Nah. So mm-hmm. and I can't upload those. So for that reason, I'm instantly you know. like. Eh. I kind of just want to be entertained. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) That's how she throws to Robbie. Well, the fact is, okay, um, fact is, I mean, we all have a phone in our pocket, a smartphone. And sometimes they are cumbersome and and we don't always have to, we don't want to pull out our phone to be able to do things like, like you're saying, reading your e-books, right? Right. Um, what's What's a tablet good for these days? surfing the web it's a bigger screen than your phone i mean this is obviously much bigger than a phone and this is um you know this is just the the smallest version of the uh the new kindle uh not the kindle the amazon fire you've got me thinking kindle now i know i I, so you asked the question what's it good for i think a lot of people are using it as a laptop replacement you think so? You see so many now with Bluetooth keyboards, and I think yeah. And Jeff, show me what you what you're actually using with your phone right now. So oh yeah, yeah with my phone, I, I have a Bluetooth keyboard from Logitech. Yeah, and it's just Bluetooth, and so I can use my phone. If I had a tablet, kind of like the replacement for the laptop, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So yeah. I think that's why a lot of people use a tablet. They don't have to worry about a laptop. Well, and for social media, like if you're going on Facebook, Twitter, and stuff like that, having something like this is really, really nice. Okay, so a couple of quick first impressions of the Fire 7 from Amazon. I have to say, I mean, my wife is uh, plant-based and, and cares about, you know, the animal products and things. The case that you buy with it is felt. It's fabric. It's not leather. A lot of stuff. Okay. Isn't it funny it? that like that? That's actually like a consideration these days. Yes, it, it's not. I, I love it. It's not funny to me at all because that's how I roll. Well, I but say that like it's like the, yeah, times have changed, right? Times like, have changed. Every, I kind of like the design of that cover. Yeah. I have to say, it looks like it's creased in a way that it would it would work as a prop. It's like a stand, yeah. yeah. But so. but as far as the fabric goes, I mean, it is. I say it's funny, but really, it's like it's an actual consideration that there's no like it's not made of leather, and when you start actually looking at that and realizing like when i'm shopping christmas gifts guys for my wife who is not interested in leather um it's it's really surprising to find that like every phone case is made of leather it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. and so finding that this is uh, like a fabric is uh, like a cotton fabric is nice and yes you're right sasha this uh acts as a stand perfect Um, so it stands up the the tablet like that or uh, also stands it up this way. So how does it operate? I mean, the, really what it boils down to is these are 20 to 30% cheaper than traditional Android tablets. I got the 7-inch version here. There's also an 8-inch and a 10-inch version. And, you know, how do they look? How do they perform? What is the caveat to purchasing an Amazon Fire tablet? And I always thought, wouldn't it be that... It's all branded Amazon. It's all 100% Amazon, and I'm not going to be able to install any of my apps, right? Doesn't, isn't that, like, the biggest concern that we kind of have to address today? Right, but doesn't it have an Android operating system on it? It does. However, it's called Fire OS. It's been rebranded. Right. It's been stripped down. A lot of the features have been removed. There is no Google Play Store. There is instead um, the Amazon App Store, 
And the Amazon App Store is vast, and it may be absolutely sufficient for you. But if you're an Amazon user, uh, or pardon me, not an Amazon user, but a, a Google uh, Android user, you might want to look for things like Chrome. Like you want your browser, right? So let's do a quick search here for Chrome within the, uh, the Amazon App Store. And I, I get a search engine. I get, like, I'm not getting the Chrome browser. Right. It's not available to me. Uh, another one that is a, a big caveat for me is, like, YouTube. So let's do a search for YouTube. And when I do a search, I get video for YouTube. I get, like, I'm getting search results, but not apps. Right. But, I mean, this... And there aren't any apps like, the proper app for YouTube is not available. Right, mm-hmm. but that's because of the war between Google and Amazon. I mean, when is you go to... Is it a war? To, yeah, as far as applications. I mean, even between, like, the Google Home and the Amazon Echo devices, yeah. you right. can't access, like, Google Music or anything like that on, sure. a, on, on an Echo okay, device. Okay, fair so, enough, fair enough. So, I mean, so Amazon has, has separated that mm-hmm. entirely. There's this wall that goes, it's Google, not having it. <laughs> Which is a big concern for somebody sure. who's heavily into Google. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I say that. I, I want to give you that caveat in that this is my concern with purchasing an, uh, an Amazon Fire tablet. This is what I feel like I'm going to be limited to. I'm not going to be able to have access to YouTube and Chrome and things like that. And then you realize, so I want to show you this, folks, because I want you to know that you can save 20 to 30% by purchasing one of these because what I've actually done is I've installed Google play. Oh yes. As an APK? As an APK. So, so what I've done is I've activated uh, third party APK installers and I've simply downloaded the four APK files. It's very quick and uh, information at cat5.tv slash Fire is going to show you how to do that, but now I've got Google, uh, pardon me, Google Play installed. So then I installed through that Google Chrome, right? right? So I've got Chrome properly installed, and I've got the actual official YouTube app as well. Um, so all of those things are available through that third-party um, installation if you activate. Oh, and look, we're live. Yeah, it looks like Sasha. Oh, yeah, there you are. Oh, trippy. Whoa, that's actually me right now. Whoa, that's funny. Whoa, nothing wrong with the stream today. Okay, so I mean, that's that's pretty quick. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, even, even from loading it and streaming it, that's only a few seconds behind. And so sure. for, for <laughs> that's for the, just the YouTube app. No, no, I get that. But the point is, like, it loaded quickly, there, and it was instant play. There wasn't a lot of buffering. So that tells you from yeah. a, a hardware standpoint mm-hmm. that it can keep up fairly well. Oh, yeah. Specifications-wise, Jeff, I mean, it's a, a quad-core processor, and it's got a gig of RAM. And, uh, and, and now a couple of things. I mean, of course, you're you're always limited to the storage capacity of these types of devices but this one does have an SD uh, I better I better turn it turn off. off my screen first if I pull it out of the case you can see 
that it does have a micro SD port, so you can stick a micro SD card in there, okay. up to 512 gigabytes. So that's going to give you a ton of storage, right, for your apps or right. pictures. It does have a forward-facing and rear-facing camera. You can see all the specs at cat5.tv slash fire. Um, and that's going to show you uh, like some information about the specifications. Now, the 7-inch has got a mono speaker. The 8-inch has got stereo speakers and Dolby sound. It's going to have better sound, presumably. And the 10-inch, of course, is like miles above. But realistically, I mean, when it comes down to the price, these things, like the, the one caveat that I had, the one concern that I had was being limited to uh, Amazon software. But then realizing that, you know what? I can install the Google Play Store through an APK. Right. And then I can install anything that is available in Google Play. It, Which it, is everything. It has completely untied my hands as far as this tablet goes. Right. So now I'm able to purchase a tablet for 20 30% less than the equivalent specification price like if i was to buy just an android tablet and it's pretty good it's it's pretty decent i'm i'm i gotta say i'm pretty impressed um of course it's got bluetooth so i connect it to my bluetooth speakers that gives me better sound because the sound in the seven inch is pretty um yeah you know it's a little speaker down here right as you would expect and as silly as it is so this is the case that you buy separately uh even though it's a great case it covers the speaker oh so so if i was listening to a podcast you can't close the lid and i close the because typically i would listen to my podcast like that well this there there isn't an opening for the speaker which i think is stupid that's the one the one flaw i've found so far now is it, just that and it's such a simple thing right can you swap the tablet around within the case cuz it seems fairly no like is there you could like, but are there buttons on the side or are they on the top? No, they're on the top. But it, that's not going to make a difference, Jeff, because at least there's an opening here when the case is, clo uh, is open. Mm -hmm. On this side, there's not. Oh, right, because right? that's actually in the case. Yeah, okay. it's in the case itself. Darn. So it's just one of those, like, they didn't think that through. That's the one thing they didn't think through. But that's the case that is sold separately. So this is a $20 case, which, as you say, Sasha, is, is pretty cool because yeah. it does work as a stand. Right. So you can watch your shows like that, and it stands it up. And you can watch your shows like that or surf the web or whatever you want to do. Uh, and it works very, very well. And it's magnetic as well. It clasps. Like, it, it kind of clips on and doesn't open up. Right. Right? It's, it's pretty nice. I okay. really do like the case. I just don't like the fact that when you close the case, you lose the speaker. Right. That's the only thing. Okay. Now, right. we have a question in the chat room. I mean, you've talked about adding apps through APKs. What about uninstalling and removing the onboard apps that it comes with? Is there that ability, or are you stuck with what Amazon has put on there? Oh, oh yeah, good question. Um, okay, so let's say, I mean, I don't know, like, there's not, I'll say this, there's not a lot of cruft. And by cruft, I mean, like, excess stuff that you just don't need. Like, it's really, really nice to be able to pull up, like, there is, like, books with Kindle. There's Amazon Music, right? Like, you've got all this, you've got access to all this stuff. And it's going to log into my Amazon account, presumably. Amazon Music Prime. It's got Prime. It's got Prime Video, everything else. Uh, so do you really want to remove that stuff? 
I don't know, but can you? Let's try. So let's grab books. Mm-hmm. And there is an uninstall button up here, which is disabled. Oh, it's, so you cannot uninstall it. Right. Okay. So and, which is pretty typical of any tablet, mm-hmm. the, like the, well, the I mean, branding, right? You can disable uh, even if you can't oh, sure. uninstall it. Right. So, I mean, it's interesting that they won't even let you, like there's not even a disable popping up. Oh, well, the thing is, Jeff, that you could install a new dashboard, for example, and be able to control the icons that you see. Right. So as far as disabling goes, it's really just about shortcuts, right? Right. Uh, But these are just the basic, as I say, so don't let that be something that makes you go, you know, like, oh, it has the Silk browser. Well, you can install Chrome. Yeah. And then you can set Chrome as the one that is the icon that is, you know, like I can put the Chrome browser right there and take Silk and get it out of there, right? right? And so now Chrome, as far as my screen goes, is the is the browser that yeah. I see, right? Okay. So, and, and again, you can you could because I now have Google Play, I could install other. Uh, environments as far as the the dashboard goes right. so i can make it look a little bit more to my liking as well get rid of some of the stuff that i don't need i can tell you at home that the one thing we use our tablet for is just video chatting with like dave's family yeah. in newfoundland mm-hmm. and this would work perfectly for that right yeah. like it's the right size and yep yeah works. i think so yeah so. for sure it's the sort of thing I'd like for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know what all you have ex- explored with this device as far as the software goes. I mean, maybe this is a new device for you. But what about things like the virus virus protection? And I mean, I know with the... It's with, Android, Jeff. No, no, I understand that. But now that you've got Google on there, you can install, you know, your ESET or something like that. Yeah. But with what it comes as a base software, because it's kind of mm-hmm. been cleaned out Android, is yeah. it still safe, or is there some holes in there now because of the Amazon proprietary stuff? No, right. no, nothing like that, Jeff. It's all good. It, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, and and as as you say, so like ESET. So and now, and I was just as you were talking, I was like, oh well, how does the forward-facing camera look? And it looks well, you, pretty good. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know. Boom. Okay, so let's let's bring up the apps. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say Google Play, right? Yeah. Oh, and there we go. I'm getting lost here. There. So it's down at the bottom now that I've installed it. I can move it up, and let's do a search for ESET. Because, like, now I've got Google Play installed, right? Mm-hmm. So why would I have any trouble installing my ESET mobile security? No, you shouldn't. I just didn't know from mm-hmm. a, from an actual software standpoint if there was, you know, some bells and whistles in the removal process that nah. you probably needed from a security standpoint. Like, I don't... I know, like, with because I my phone runs Android, and I'm constantly getting the updates and other security yeah. patch, security patch, and I don't know how on top of the updates and security patches this is well. because it's an... It's not quite Android. I mean, it is Android, but... <laughs> Fire OS. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, and, and so a part of it is saying, yeah, I trust Amazon is going to keep things up to date. And, and I think that it comes down to, I can buy a tablet, like an Android tablet, from some Chinese-manufactured um, like company that does not support their s- stuff. Mm-hmm. right? And, and I've been there where like the, some of the set-top boxes that I bought that are Android-based, become obsolete a year later, and you cannot update them because they're not supported by the manufacturer. Right. This is Amazon. 
they're like yeah. they're going to support it. It's going to be supported. So you know that even if it's not stock Amazon, uh, stock Android, it's going to have support in the Fire OS as right. well. Now, I suppose it would be compatible. Like I have a Fire Stick at home. Yeah. And then if I had the tablet, I could mm-hmm. start watching a show on my Fire Stick. Yeah. And continue watching it on the tablet? That's right. And you can actually take what's called... uh, So if you bring up, say, uh, Prime Video, for example, Sasha, you can use what's called second screen in order to cast... It's basically like mirror casting to your Amazon Fire Stick. Um, That said... There is a lack of mirror cast capabilities within this device. So if you're looking to be able to cast... um, how would you say? So if you're watching video, mm-hmm. it's go- you're going to be able to cast it. Sure. Yeah. But if you want to cast the whole screen, like here tonight, for example, here live on Category 5 TV, I'm having to hold it up to a camera. Right. Right. Because I'm not able to yeah. cast this to your screen because it does not support Miracast. That's right. kind of a difference that you would say mm-hmm. that there is between uh, a true Android tablet versus this one. But is that going to affect the average user? Probably not. I think that's only going to affect the broadcaster mm-hmm. because you can bring up Prime Video. You can bring up YouTube once you've got it installed and you can mm-hmm. cast that to your, your display. If you've got a smart TV or right. you've got a Chromecast or something like so that. So it's like practically perfect in every way. Well, theoretically. Now, how Being long, that, how really long have you had this device? Because I, I have a question about uh, targeted advertising, but I don't know how long you've had it. Uh, I haven't had it long, but I, I have a feeling I know where you're going. Uh, where do you think <laughs> I'm going? Well, I know that there is ads, uh, like because it's an Amazon device, right? So right. you do sometimes get some ads, and if you long press on the ad, you can actually disable them. So just keep that in mind. Right. And so not necessarily the ads, but what I'm thinking is because we now live in, you know, a a world where there's more and more connected Amazon devices. Yeah. I mean, for years we've been dealing with the whole, you know, Google tracking, so to speak, where, you know, you Google something and suddenly it's popping up on ads. Sure. I was just talking about that. (laughs) Now it's on Facebook. What? Does the same thing happen with this? Because it's an Amazon device, is it reading all the stuff that you're doing and suddenly you're now getting targeted Amazon? Oh, gosh, Jeff. (laughs) No, but this is a legit question for people who are concerned about that privacy and and targeted advertising. Right. Because it's an Amazon device, I just didn't know if there's some extra targeting that you've noticed. Like maybe... We've noticed you're watching these things, so we're shipping these things to your house immediately. Right. Yeah, Yeah. no no more than you're already used to, right? Like, like this is the world that we live in. So, yes, if you are searching through Amazon, it's going to track kind of what you're looking at and then it's going to pr- provide advertising for it. Right. Because there is shopping and stuff like that. Of course. Okay. But it's no it's no different than what we're already used to. Um, and, and I should say oh, one of the things, because some people are like, hey, well, what, what difference is there as far as the... Um, it does have a lack... A lack... Play some music? Everybody's device is going off at home. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a station you might like, Platinum Pop, on Amazon Music. Okay, so whatever. I don't want to... Okay, that's fine. What's the weather forecast? So, like, things like that, to be able to just talk to my tablet, it's kind of cool. Yes. I don't know if I talked too much. Maybe she was still listening. What's the weather forecast? In Barrie. It's 16 degrees Fahrenheit with mostly cloudy skies. I like that it shows me. Look for snow flurries with a low of 15 degrees. It's a little more interesting than just 
ask yes. like just bringing up an app or something like that and it's a lot uh, it's quite helpful as right. well and yes. i've actually used it to like uh, you can brighten the screen you can turn up the volume you can do things like that like general android controls you can do by voice now thanks to the amazon echo integration with the tablet as well which right. is, it takes it to the next level for mm-hmm. me right. makes it easier for uh, for kids to use or people with visual issues right right oh yeah but also, it being that I already have some Amazon Echo devices in my house, mm-hmm. I can immediately start telling it to turn on my Christmas tree or turn, right. turn off the lights well, in the living room. Or you can I, broadcast to the family through that. Yeah. I can, yeah. Or, or do things like, okay, uh, Alexa, volume eight. I just want to turn it up for you guys. Alexa, what's the temperature inside? It's 75.2. Wow. She likes it hot, folks. <laughs> but I got to pay the bills. So, Alexa, set the temperature to 73. The heat's set to 73. Right? Like, so I'm doing that from my tablet from the studio on the other side of town. And it, that's just one feature. Yeah. But, and then from the Android perspective, yes. Because I can install Play Store, I feel like this is actually a valuable device. And I've saved 30% in order to buy it. So is that the official assessment that you've got, that it, 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 it does perform as well as any of the other Android tablets and it's worth it for the money? <laughs> is it worth it for the money? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And specifications-wise, it has some great specs. Check it out, cat5.tv slash fire, and you're going to learn all about that. But... Yeah, specifications-wise, they're fantastic for the price. Okay. And it would for sure get here by Christmas if Dave were to, like, order it. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. Dave. <laughs> Dave's Just... like, I wasn't watching! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! Every single Dave who's watching just sent you one of those. Oh, my goodness. Oh, there, can't be, there can't be that many Daves out there. No, not a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> all right, so are you ready to head over to the newsroom? Are you guys all set over there? Sure am. All right. Here's what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. Governments in the UK, US, and Australia have asked Facebook in an open letter to roll back plans to bring end-to-end encryption to all of its platforms. Google is showing off stunning new augmented reality features coming to web and mobile apps soon. After analyzing a database containing 3 billion leaked credentials from security breaches, the Microsoft Threat Research team determined that more than 44 million user accounts had a serious security problem. We'll tell you what you need to know. And Intel is making LiDAR affordable with a new palm-sized camera. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is the Category5.tv Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, joined this week by Jeff Weston and Robbie Ferguson. All right, here's some quick honorable mentions this week. Larry Page and Sergey Brin, co-founders of Google, have stepped down from their positions as its CEO and president, respectively, with immediate effect at its parent company of Alphabet, Inc. However, both will continue their involvement as co-founders, shareholders, and members of Alphabet's board of directors. Going forward, 
Sundar Pichai, Google's chief executive, will become the CEO of both Google and Alphabet. He will assume the role of managing Alphabet's investments in its portfolio of other bets in areas including self-driving cars and life sciences. Besides this, he will also remain a member of Alphabet's board of directors. The stepping down of Page and Brin represents the end of an era for Google that was founded by both in 1998 while there were PhD students at Stanford University. Despite not holding important management roles at Alphabet, the two plan to continue talking with Pichai regularly. And Mexican cops have pre-ordered a fleet of Cybertrucks. Having pre-ordered 15 Tesla Cybertrucks that makes the Mexican city of San Luis Potoso, Potosi the second to share plans to put police officers in Cybertrucks following Dubai's announcement a couple weeks back. The San Luis Potosi government is reportedly interested in replacing its internal combustion engine vehicles with the truck to cut down on maintenance costs and save money in the long run. Adrian Esper Cardenas, mayor of San Luis Potosi, described the purchase as, quote, common sense, end quote. He added that the city will also use some of the 15 trucks for tasks like picking up trash around the city. It would be simple for the city to reverse course if it changes its mind, because all it takes to pre-order a truck is a fully refundable $100 deposit. That way, if the police force gets cold feet and it thinks that the trucks are not quite meatball-proof windows, it could still completely black out before actually buying Tesla's trucks. Let's get into the top stories we're following this week. Governments in the UK, US and Australia have asked Facebook in an open letter to roll back plans to bring end-to-end encryption to all of its platforms. Facebook, who has been the center of many privacy scandals, responds that everyone has the right to a private conversation. It's the latest in a battle between privacy and safety, which has been played out between governments and tech firms ever since digital communication became mass market. End-to-end encryption is a secure way of sending information so that only the intended receiver can read it. The information is encrypted while it is still on the sender's device and is only decrypted when it reaches the person intended. Nobody, not even the platform owner, has the keys to unlock it. The UK and the US have just signed a historic agreement to give each other much faster access to private conversations, cutting down the time from months or years to weeks weeks or days. But that agreement could potentially be rendered a bit useless if the messages are encrypted. Setting up a government backdoor is not the answer either, as Amnesty International pointed out, Quote, proposals for a backdoor have repeatedly been shown to be unworkable. There is no middle ground. If law enforcement is allowed to circumvent encryption, then anybody can, end quote. Professor Alan Woodward, a security expert at the University of Surrey and a consultant to Europol, Europol, gave a good analogy when he said, quote, a backdoor is rather like leaving a key under the mat. Once somebody knows it's there, anyone can walk in, end quote. Hmm. So interesting story. I really think that this is going to sound weird. Okay, so I know that emails are not private, mm-hmm. and I assume that Facebook messages are not private. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they should be. They should not be private. Because they're not. They shouldn't be. It's not about private. It's about encryption. And so right. I, I think the, the issue in this case is the fact that when there is 
legal proceedings going on and yeah. the police are doing investigations. And a lot of times it could be a national security issue. It could be a, uh, you know, a, a police investigation that is about a safety or, mm -hmm. you know, like drug runners or whatever. Uh, the fact that the police need to be able to access those devices. I mean, we saw this a couple of years ago with uh, Apple and their security needing the fingerprints. And unless you had, you know, the person's thumbprint, you couldn't get past the yeah. encryption, all that kind of stuff. And so there's always been this battle on the encryption front of can law enforcement get access to it and what is acceptable and what is not. And so, uh, I mean, at the beginning, there was this idea of, yes, for sure, we could, you know, I think it makes sense for law enforcement to have encryption. But then as soon as you get things like, um, you know, the Edward Snowden and all of that kind of breach that's coming out through that, that scandal, you're, you have people going, hold on, we can't trust you with that information. Mm -hmm. We can't trust you to follow the court process properly where you're supposed to go to a judge. Now you're bypassing that with, you know, fake warrants to make it happen. I think that's how it played out if my memory serves. And so now people are going, I don't think we can trust you with the encryption. Uh, you know, and it's, I, I mean, the story is an interesting point because you're right. If you do give that access, then anybody has access as long as they can get to that if they know the key. So just, where I, is that bottom line? Here's where the tricky thing is in my mind, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it. But when I first had a phone, it was on a party line. Okay. <laughs> so there was yes, no I remember privacy, those. right? Like yes. anybody could pick up. Yeah. There was no privacy. I don't understand it's what this is. a little bit different now, though. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's different, but it really... Oh, all the kids listening tonight. <laughs> like, like, party what? line. Party <laughs> line. <laughs> That's right. So what wow, I don't we just dated is, ourselves. is why one person needs to have another conversation with another person and have it completely locked down. I feel like that was never our thing. Uh, we never had that. But you also <laughs> didn't use your party line for, you know, international terrorism. Right. And if I were to be using my party line for international terrorism, I'd want it to be encrypted. So exactly. I don't think it should be encrypted <laughs> at all. Yeah. No, I, I understand. Yes. That. I mean, it really comes down to the, and I hear this argument all the time. If you're not doing anything wrong, why do you care? Yes. And I get that argument. Uh, it, it makes sense. If you're not doing anything, why, why should you care? But the fact is, there's still the potential that you might not be doing anything wrong. But now, if somebody decides you, they're going to investigate you, anything that you're doing is no longer going to be protected. But if I work under the assumption that nothing is private, I'm not going to do anything in these weird realms that I would hope to stay private. Right, but where is that line? And I think that's what this story comes to, is where yeah. is the line between acceptable, and I don't want to say intrusion, but... That really is what it comes down to. If you're yeah. going to break the encryption, it is a, an element of intrusion. It might be for good means, but where is that acceptable line between intrusion and privacy? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's a safe answer because you're always going to have two sides of the story. You're going to have the, the, the privacy side and you're going to have the law enforcement side. And then there's going to be people in the middle going, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting to watch how this is playing out in the courts. And I think where it's going to really come to head and you're going to start seeing movement in a definitive way is in the European courts because of all of the legislation that they're putting in place. I think mm -hmm. that's where if there's going to be a breakthrough that um, allows for that healthy balance, I think Europe is where you're going to see it. All right. 
Google is showing off stunning new augmented reality features coming to web and mobile apps soon. Google has been quietly working to improve its augmented reality platform, Arcore, since its official launch early last year. Now the company says it's ready to unveil some of the next generation upgrades to depth detection and physics that they've achieved, promising to make AR experiences seem much more realistic in the near future. The upgrades, part of Arcore's all-new all new depth API will soon allow developers to perform what's known as occlusion, which is when an artificial object can be blocked from view by real world objects in a scene. Place a virtual cat in your living room, for instance, and you can see it disappear from view when you angle your camera in a way that places a bed or a table or some other object in between. The result is a more believable scene because the depth detection going on under the hood means that your smartphone better understands every object in a scene and how far apart each object is from one another. Google says that it's able to do this through optimizing existing software so that you won't need to buy a new phone with a specific sensor or a type of processor. If you have a phone that supports R-Core, which is pretty much every new Android phone released in the last few years, you'll be able to access these new features directly on the device with no help from the cloud. Pokemon Go creator Niantic showed off a video of, occlusion, of an occlusion demo featuring a tiny virtual Pikachu darting around an urban plaza, dashing in between objects and blending seamlessly in with the environment. That was in July 2018. But it was just a video and not a demo running on a device in real time. Google says the advancements will be made available to developers in the future after it works more, more closely with developers and other collaborators to polish off some of its approaches. These go beyond occlusion and into more realistic physics and 3D mapping. Google has developed a way for AI, AR objects to interact with the real world more realistically, move through the environment in a way a real world 3D object would, and interact with services like you might expect physical matter would. The company doesn't have a timeline for when it does expect to release this tool set more broadly, but it's likely these capabilities will be showing up in apps and AR web experiences sometime next year. This is cool. This is cool. I, I, I mean, as you're reading the story, I'm going, what in the world would I use this for? But I think this can take things like AR games yep. uh, to a whole new level. Uh, and I can also see this being the beginnings of a whole new way of doing um, living AR visual wear. Right. So, for instance, I mean, if you go back to that episode of Star Trek Next Generation, uh, I think it, the episode was called The Game, where they had that little headset, and as they're walking around, there's like these balls and, you know, the, where they're throwing the balls into mm -hmm. these cyclones and all that kind of stuff. I can see this opening up the door to having, you know, VR goggles that instead of our having that opaque screen, having a transparent screen so that it changes the way you do your games. So you would really like this. I think this is really fascinating how they're moving it forward. Uh, my fear, though, is that, you know, as humans, we can't be trusted. <laughs> Somebody's going to get hurt. Okay, here's what I like it for. I like it for two reasons that immediately popped into my head. One, randomly, interior design. I feel like oh, okay. you mm -hmm. can easily then show somebody what their space 
could look like. Mm-hmm. Well, you could do that now, though. Yeah, but it would be easier. Not with occlusion, though. Right, I mean, not that's with true. occlusion. That's true. Wow. Yeah. Second, I think therapy for people with um, phobias or PTSD. I think that would work. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. I haven't thought about that one. Yeah, and also games. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and that's the way it's going to go initially is, you know, people are going to go, how can we build this into games? Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, that's interesting about mo- mobility issues. This does open a whole new realm of how does that play into, uh, say, urban planning? Right. And if you develop an AI map and you look at it going, okay, uh, you know, how would, how would people interact with this? What would be the movement? Like, take, yeah. for instance, like Times Square. Yeah. It's like how, you know, if this happened, how would that impact traffic and, and watching these AI hmm. people walk around by throwing an object in there or if you just place, I, I mean, I, I realize it's kind of backwards use of it, but it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see from a traffic model standpoint or, or, or a construction model, the hmm. impact that this would have, uh, you know, could change the way we do the world. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, we've got to take a quick break. The Crypto Corner and th- more of this week's top tech stories are coming up. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Crypto Corner. And another week has flown by. Not many changes within the price of so the market uh, cap of our industry is still around 200 billion. Market share of Bitcoin is around 66%. So not many changes there. But as usual, a lot of things to report about. And so the first big one is Ethereum upgraded this weekend to Istanbul, which means a bit more performant, uh, cheaper and a bit more resilient but it's not the big upgrade to Ethereum 2.0. That will come hopefully uh, beginning of, of next year. The next one is Litecoin. The Litecoin Foundation created a trust fund to address privacy issues by using the Mimblewimble protocol, which is great news because that's exactly what we also need in the Bitcoin protocol. Um, <clears throat> an interesting statistic is decentralized finance, or as they say it in modern English, DeFi, uh, on the Ethereum uh, on the Ethereum network, that was in 1997 around 10 million US dollars. Um, last month it was 650 million. So an exponential growth in uh, decentralized finance on the Ethereum blockchain. And the 650 million, by the way, is equivalent to around two percent of all ETH available in the market. So it's significant. Then the voice um, uh, network which uh, is an EOS-based EOS, uh, uh, media platform. Competitor, they want to be competitive to Facebook and so on. They will launch their beta version soon. Um, that's interesting because uh, Block One, that is the company behind this uh, system, they generated four billion US dollars uh, uh, during the ICO of EOS. So they've got a lot of money uh, that they can throw behind this year. And last but not least, in the news section is British Virgin Islands. They announced that they're uh, converting uh, their US back uh, dollar to a digital currency. So that's the next one, that uh, country that will uh, have their currency on a blockchain. 
Now, <clears throat> subject of the week is uh, exchange. And why an exchange? Because you can make a lot of mistakes there if you don't choose the right uh, exchange. And there are four things that you have to be really careful with when uh, choosing an exchange. First, is it a regulated exchange? And to give you an example, there's an exchange called IDAX, IDAX, that's based in Mongolia. So you know that if something happens there, you have got no chance in recovering your money. I assume that. <clears throat> Uh, and with that, you have to be careful that with every other exchange that you have got at least a chance to talk to somebody. And that's usually the case with regulated exchanges. Second is, is it a KYC AML uh, uh, exchange? Um, so are they asking you for the passport picture? Don't send those things to companies or exchanges or websites you've never heard of or you don't have any idea who's sitting behind uh, that exchange. Yeah, because you never know what they're going to do with your passport or your driver's license. What are they going to do with your data? Is it safely stored? You don't know that. So make sure that you ha you've got an answer to that question. Third is so-called fake trading or wash trading, which is uh, forbidden in the US and in Europe, but it's allowed in Asia. And that means that the exchange is faking uh, trade volume. Uh, they're saying that around 90% of Bitcoin's volume that you see on coin market cap, it's around 1 billion US dollars. The reality is only around um, 100 million. So make sure that there's enough liquidity of your token or coin. And last is the fees. Just be careful with the fees. Check that before you do a trade. Uh, it can be up to 30% high, 30% high um, if, if you make a mistake. So those are the four points you need to, to consider when uh, uh, choosing the right exchange for your token. And that's, that's for me. So I wish you a great week and see you next week. Thanks for watching. Thanks, Robert. Just a reminder, this is not financial advice. We're just sharing what's happening in the crypto market. The Microsoft Threat Research Team analyzed billions of login credentials that had been leaked following security breaches. These came from multiple sources, including law enforcement and publicly accessible databases. Considering the data breaches are known to have exposed 4.1 billion records in the first six months of 2019 alone, there's obviously plenty of this kind of credential data floating around. And plenty that is traded across dark web markets. Security researchers analyze this breach data, and by doing so, it's possible to get an idea of the most commonly reused and therefore insecure passwords. The Microsoft Identity Threat Research Team was also looking for these compromised credentials to cross-check against the Microsoft user ecosystem. Across just the first three months of 2019, Microsoft found some 44 million accounts that were reusing passwords found within those breached credential databases. You might think that 44 million reused passwords out of more than 3 billion breached credentials isn't too bad a percentage. Unless you're one of those Azure AD or Microsoft account holders with the password problem, of course. It's, it's dangerous to think that you are safe just because you don't use any of the headline passwords mentioned in the most reused passwords list that regular, regularly appears online, as threat actors use a variety of techniques to reveal login credentials. 
If one of your passwords turns up in a breach database and you use it to access your email account, for example, it's often game over as far as your security is concerned. Microsoft warns about how this data is commonly used in what's known as a breach replay attack. Quote, once a threat actor gets a hold of a spilled credentials or credentials in the wild, they can try to execute a breach replay attack. In this attack, the actor tries, tries out the same credentials on different services, service accounts to see if there's a match. End quote. As far as the leaked credentials that the threat research team found during this analysis are concerned, Microsoft has confirmed that consumers need to take, quote, no additional action, end quote, as they are already forced a password reset. So what can we do to protect our accounts? The report goes on to say, quote, our numbers show that 99.9% of identity attacks have been thwarted by turning on multi-factor authentication, end quote. Wow. 99.9% have been thwarted. So we know I am not the best with my passwords. I know that. You're learning. I'm learning. And I know I would never have known how bad I was if not for the show. (laughs) 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 But now I know I need multi-factor authentication. I'm going to need it because I know that even if I think I have the safest password out there, there's a computer out there that's just picking away and will one day figure it out. Well, and do you know what's neat about multi-factor authentication, Sasha, is that even if you have a weak password, if you have MFA or 2FA, whatever you want to call it, then you're much more protected because they only have that one factor. They only have the password. Well, they also need your phone or your right. SMS or whatever else, So I right? can go back to passwords I can remember. <laughs> In some regards, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, as yeah. long as it's that only for good. one site. Yes, that's fine with me. Yeah, you I don't can, want to repeat yeah. passwords across multiple sites. But even if you were to repeat passwords and have multi-factor authentication, you'd be okay. I mean, right. you don't want to, but you'd be okay. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, I mean, it is concerning that people still continue to use the same password, but I would venture to guess that almost every one of those people uh, do not have some sort of a password keeper software. I would say you're wrong. And here's why I know. Because I am one of those people. Um, so well, most people maybe it's have just the same password because it's easy to remember. It's poor practice, it's though. Bad maybe practice. it's just yeah. bad easy. practice. Okay, so here's what happens: is I try a password and it says wrong password, or I try a password and it says your password's expired. You have to come up with a new password, and I just in a rush put in a password that I. No, you know? Oh, and then I think I'll come back to that later and I'll change it. Yeah, you never do. I don't. I have I have a problem. Right. <laughs> and my problem is... Well, admitting it is the first step. Right. So. <laughs> this is Passwords Anonymous, because, a.k.a. PA. We're going to call this PA. when I use a password generator, which I have done, yeah. which has rendered my laptop useless in this moment no that was you that was me okay but 
like I use a password generator and this is big long string of characters that I just copy paste yeah. into things, right? Which is well, great. It, it, but then what a wonderful world as far as security goes if none of the users know their passwords. Think about that. You think that sounds crazy, but that is the perfect scenario. Yes. Yeah, if it, I fire a staff member and they because they've compromised data or they've done something wrong, um, I don't want them to be able to walk away with passwords that yeah. they remember. Exactly. I promise you, I don't know any of my own personal passwords right now. That's except great. For my master password on my password. Thing. That's the way it should be. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. Now, but then there is the scenario that you've encountered, Sasha, yes. where your Chromebook, you have to log into your Chromebook. So you have to know your Chrome password, which is your Google password, right? Right. So the trick is, is to have a simple enough password that you remember. So I use password recipes, not passwords. So you think about a recipe. We've talked about that on the show before, and I'll talk yes. about it again. But knowing your recipe, you're able to punch in your password. So my password is like this big, long thing because it's like, it's like all these different factors for a recipe for my password. And so it's like a hacker could never figure it out. It's all kinds of words and punctuations and everything else. But I remember it because I know the recipe. Right. And then you and then in addition to that, I have multi-factor authentication enabled on my Google account. So even though I have a password that I'm entering in because I remember the recipe. So think about this. What if that computer had a keylogger? What if I was logging into my Google account to check my Gmail from a library computer where someone says it has installed a, uh, a keylogger? Right. Now they know my password. Right. So now do they have access to my Google account? No. They don't have my phone because I've got multi-factor authentication enabled. So every time I try to uh, log into my Google account or my Chromebook, it pops up on my phone. Do you want to authorize this? Yes. It's a simple click. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you need to enable that. I want I want that now. Yeah. I, do, I will say, as far as the key logger thing goes, that I would never fall victim to that because I don't know my passwords and I just copy-paste. So they would only be logging the copy and the but paste. But there are uh, uh, clipboard um, oh, loggers as well. Yeah. Of course yes. there are. Yes, of course. Yep. You oh, have to have multi-factor yep. authentication. Two-factor authentication or yep. multi-factor authentication. That's for the win. Mm -hmm. I wish there was a way, and I, mean, I suppose in theory it could be done, but I wish when there was a data breach for a company that there would be a way to purge the passwords and ensure that your password keeper software would prevent you from ever using that again. <laughs> Like I know with Wouldn't mine, nice? I, I get alerts. We're almost that, there, Jeff. I know, but I like I know for mine, I get alerts that it runs an audit of all my passwords because sure. at this point, I'm now up over probably 250 different passwords, and it's like, by the way, you've you you've reused this a couple times now. And when I look at it, it's like, oh, that's a site I haven't logged into in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Like clearly, I, yeah. I don't yeah. use it anymore. But it's the same password that you're using on something that you use every day, uh, well, which is the scary thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But it'd be nice if there was that's a way the one to wipe them out and never allow you to use it again. Yeah. That comes down to common sense, though. I know. And um, what we are at, like with MyKey, so M-Y-K-I, for example, with LastPass, with um, uh, Have I Been Owned, as examples, Google Chrome now features it built in. 
when passwords that you use have been compromised, you receive alerts that uh, that let you know. And in fact, I I recently received an alert that one of my passwords was compromised. I recognized it because it said, this is your password. And so, oh yeah, my password has been compromised. So what did I do? I did a dump of my uh, LastPass password database, and I searched for that password, and I found all of the sites that I use that I had stupidly shared the same password with because it was one of my plain text passwords. Right. And I had found about maybe six or seven sites where I had used this password from years ago. And so I went through and I went through check, 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 check. And I changed the password on every single one of those sites to a nice, strong password. So now, whether it was compromised or not, um, that password is now secure. What I am not able to protect against is the fact that the data that they were able to to accumulate during that breach, they now have access to. So that could be that could be the phone call that comes in and says, "Hi, we're calling from Microsoft, and we're looking at your computer." Like that could be any kind of phishing scam, spear phishing scam, uh, whatever it may be, because they now have data on me. However, my password is no longer uh, an issue. So they can't get access to my accounts. That actually helps me to know that you've actually had the same problem I have. Everyone does, Sasha. But the thing is, is that you've got to take action. Yes. So where I receive the notification that my password has been compromised, I found the six other sites that used that password because I had shared that password with other sites. And I changed the password. Right. And what you said is very crucial because in your news story, Sasha, you said, that they're now using the compromised data in order to do a secondary attack. Yes. To see if maybe that password that you used on MySpace way back in the day might be the same password that you're now using on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so they try those things. Of they course. attack those things. And you would be none the wiser until finally they get in. And guess what they do? They change your password. And then you can't access your account. Yeah. Right. And so we, you've got to be proactive. And I will say, like the the password generators that pass that generate these really strong, mm-hmm. awesome passwords, they're amazing. Yeah. But I think every single person has generated their own password that they're super proud of, and they kind of feel <laughs> a little bit of attachment to. Yeah. Right. And then you kind of want to use it, but you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I think the 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 thing that we hesitate with is that these big long passwords that are 64 characters long how will i ever remember that and the key point is you don't need to know it you don't need to remember it you need to have a password manager that is able to input that into the login form so that it will get you into the system and you never need to know that password exactly that's the key point that's it. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. I know we have to move on, yeah, we but do. one quick thought with this. I mean, I'm thinking about what you're saying, Robbie, about the the you know, replay attacks where they're checking out other sites. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you have two-factor authentication. So take, for instance, Facebook. You can have your two-factor authentication, whereas if they get in, they change the password, but they can also now change the cell phone that you use for your two-factor authentication. So once they're in... Then they, they can now change that cell, that number so that when you anything. go, oh, I'm locked out. Jeff, we're talking about social media here. What about banking? 
Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Where are the funds going to go that they now have access to? Right. Right. So is there a way, and maybe they're doing this already, but I'm thinking for a sophisticated web service, whether it be banking or whatever, is there a way for them to put in almost three-factor authentication with some smart trends? For instance, uh, they recognize that normally you log in from an IP address that's in a specific area of the country. Suddenly, you log in with your password from an IP address totally somewhere else, and then they instantly go to change your phone number. Would the site go, you're in, that's not you, we're locking you out? Well, this is exactly why we use the term multi-factor authentication, not necessarily two-factor authentication, right? So multi-factor authentication could be five factors, right? When I log in, if I want to remote into the studio from home, there are uh, three or four factors, I think. So it's multi-factor authentication. Anyway, so it's not two-factor authentication. It takes four factors in order for me to get into the studio. So, yeah, there's... But as far as the lockdowns go, I mean, that's firewalling. That's... That's a whole other can mm-hmm. of worms. Yeah. That'll be in a new story next week. I know. Yeah. We just need to people. That's yeah. the problem. Intel is adding a tiny LiDAR sensor to its RealSense range, claiming the Intel RealSense LiDAR, LiDAR camera L515 is the world's smallest laser rangefinder, not to mention one of the most affordable. Taking technology familiar from autonomous cars and robotics, the L515 then packages it down into a small enough form factor that it could allow compact smart devices to scan the world in 3D. LiDAR works by using a rapidly scanning laser, bouncing points of light off surrounding objects. By measuring the time taken for that light to reflect back, it can create a 3D map or point cloud of the world around that sensor. That accuracy has made it the centerpiece of many self-driving project, self-driving car projects, among other fields. Traditionally, though, LiDAR has been hamstrung by two key factors, size and price. Early LiDAR sensors, particularly those with suitable range for automotive applications, have been huge, like a spinning trash can mounted on top of the vehicle's roof. They've also cost tens of thousands of dollars or more. Intel's L515 taps into the growing category of solid-state LiDAR, however, and it's cheap enough at at arriving just at um, $349. Wow. The chip maker developed its own tiny microelectromechanical system, or MEMS, mirror that allows the laser to scan the scene, but at reduced power. Despite requiring less than 3.5 watts, Intel says that the L515 can still track 3D objects at a range of up to 30 feet at over 23 million active accurate depth pixels per second with a depth resolution of 1024 by 768 at 30 frames per second. Arguably more exciting though is the potential for new applications and new users where LiDAR has traditionally been out of reach. Smoothing that transition is the fact that the L515 uses the same RealSense SDK 2.0 as Intel's other current RealSense cameras, released under an open source license and compatible with Windows, Linux, Android, and Mac OS, along with multiple platforms including Unity, Unreal, and even Python. Unreal. Oh, man. Do you guys remember the first time that we heard of LiDAR? Yes! The Monkey Kingdom book. Yes! A big... It was 
The lost city of the monkey <sighs> god, right? Oh, the monkey god. That's right. Not monkey yeah. kingdom. Yes. The plane's most distinctive feature features are two struts or booms that extend behind the wings. Once a cheerful red and white, the paint job on this plane was full of patches and strips that had peeled off, and an ugly streak of oil ran down the fuselage from the forward engine. A big green LiDAR box almost filled the interior of the plane. Think about the size of this thing, that is, right? Yeah. That is, but I mean, that was this, some pretty sophisticated lineup. Yeah, this is two the, though. I, I, I'm not done. Oh, okay, this fine. sleek, advanced, yeah, <laughs> this sleek, advanced, and costly piece of technology so top secret that it had to be guarded by soldiers was being schlepped around in a shabby flying tin can, or so it seemed to my inexpert eye. That's Douglas Preston from The Lost City of the Monkey God. He was here on the show to talk about that. My all-time favorite episodes. Yeah. If you have was not that season seen nine? I don't know, Jeff. Season it was, it was any. It, it, it feels like it was yesterday. Just go to our website, yeah. category5.tv, click on search, and click in uh, Lost yeah. City of the Monkey God. You'll find it. Which right. first made us excited about LiDAR. Which, I think so. This, Absolutely. This story the technology. brings LiDAR to us, right? Mm-hmm. This was exciting that it existed and yep. that it was capable and useful in real-world applications. But right. what, I, what I'm saying is, like, this is... Uh, Douglas Preston went to the city of the monkey god with a plane full of lidar technology and now it's fitting in something that's like 60 millimeters right can right? You, what can you use that for i wonder Could okay. you use oh, it for the first thing i thought of ar yeah. 3d movies 3D Not movies, 3D the way we have it now. Interactive, Interactive 3D movies, 3D movies. Could you imagine? No, like I can't. An action. Take for instance, like an Avengers movie, mm-hmm. but it's filmed with 3D lidar technology. Mm-hmm. So not only can you be oh watching, my. but you're sitting there going, "Hold on, oh, check out the other side of that fight." Okay, like, that would be cool. Combine nice. that with the technology that android is bringing about that allows things to go behind other objects right right and now we've got lidar to show us those objects in 3d space well remember we had the story with the cane that like was a smart cane that could have a conversation with you about what was around what if that cane had lidar on it i mean it Mm. would just make it that much more More, attuned to what obstacles are in the way. So could this be something, I mean, uh, we've gone from mega server that fills a room to something that fills a box to something that fits in the pocket. Now we've got LiDAR that fills a plane that now fills like a 62 millimeter device. And now can it fit into my optics, for example, so that I can do augmented reality? Like, is this, everything is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, and I mean, the interesting applications from a, say, a security or an investigation standpoint, like, could you imagine um, all vehicles or cell phones, whatever, are equipped, are equipped with LiDAR mm. through this tech? And I granted, this is, we're talking about this size. Yeah. Eventually, we're probably going to get much smaller. That's it. But imagine if you can get LiDAR onto a cell phone. Yes. And mm-hmm. you get into a car <laughs> accident. And the first thing you do when you pull out is you go, ping, and you LiDAR the entire accident scene. Holy cow, dude. 
Have you ever seen like the 3D version of Google Earth? Like, yeah. so yeah. imagine if your phone had LiDAR capabilities because that's where we're going. And you could take a picture, and all of a sudden, you can put that in VR space. Yes. Sasha, you can put on your VR headset, and and you can be in that realm. Right. See, and I'm thinking from search and rescue standpoint. Like, imagine if phones were equipped with LiDAR. I mean, like, we have the Amber Alert system. Mm -hmm. What if knowing, you know, so-and-so has been kidnapped or they're missing, but using a UUID through a government database, they go... Boom, let's run a LiDAR scan. You know what? That's all fine and good, but I'm thinking more... What about family? What about people that I love that have passed on? That I can enter a virtual reality space and, and walk into... Walk into... Think about this. The yeah. video of an anniversary party or a birthday party and actually, like, through VR be able to enter it because LiDAR gives the capability for my VR to be able to interact with the video in such a way that it sees the depth and then we integrate this capability of things to go behind objects and things so I can walk around a live not alive but a video scene. Yeah there's always that like point of heartbreak when you like for example Dave and I are renovating um, his family home in Newfoundland. Mm. And there's that point where it's a heartbreak because he has to take down some of his old memories. Like his old right. childhood bedroom is is painted in these beautiful Smurf, you know, collage sort oh, of yeah. things. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been awesome to be able to do like a LiDAR and be able to, be able to <laughs> walk through that yeah. as opposed to just... But will LiDAR pick up like I don't think lidar. Well, you see, no, 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 Jeff, you're missing it. You're combining lidar technology, so depth with the visual. So you've got 360 video plus lidar, right? So this is all part of the video. So now, not only can I look around in VR, which we can already do. Okay, I can already take a 360 video. I have 360 Mm -hmm. cameras here. You're welcome to borrow them, and you can then look around in Mm -hmm. VR space. But with LiDAR, I can walk around in that VR space. Consider the difference. With LiDAR filming, say, going back to the original idea that I mentioned about movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sitting here going, okay, throw on a VR headset. Suddenly, we're now in, like, Star Trek holodeck realms. Yes. Well, but not interactive No, not interactive, but I mean, from the standpoint of, you know, if you could build, like, you know, say you walk around New York City and you LiDAR the city. Yeah. I mean, this is what Google's already doing. But suddenly you now have like VR tours where, you know, maybe somebody has mobility issues. It's like, I can't get to New York. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of my in-laws who are from Holland. Yeah. My mom would love to go back to Holland, but because of health issues, she can't get on the plane. I right. love the idea. So how neat would it be to say, hey, mom, here's uh, the the town you grew up in. Somebody lidar that town. Would you like to VR that and actually walk mm. around? Like That would be huge. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. So cool. <gasps> yeah. That is amazing. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And if you appreciate what we do, become a patron at patreon.com newsroom. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman.
Welcome back to Category 5 Technology TV. So glad you're here. I'm Jeff Weston. I'm Sasha Rickman. And over there is... Hey, I'm Robbie Ferguson over here in the production studio. <laughs> but that is all the time that we have for this week. It's been great having you here. I hope you had fun. And uh, we've got a great couple of shows coming up. And, uh, of course, we're, uh, we're planning for the new year already. And uh, that's where things like this storage unit are going to come into play. We've got some really cool stuff coming uh, with regards to storage. And if you're looking for any kind of NAS unit at home, we're going to be building one ourselves. So forget about buying a Drobo or something like that. We're going to do something a lot cooler using some consumer gear that we can get off of Amazon. Uh, but I hope you had fun this week. You can find us on Twitter at Category 5 TV. I personally am also on Twitter at uh, Robbie Ferguson and I follow back. And uh, we hope to see you also on our YouTube channel. Make sure you click on subscribe, click the bell, and say hi. And uh, we look forward to interacting with you as well. Take care, everybody. Uh, for this week, I'm Robbie Ferguson. I'm Sasha Rickman. She had to think about it for a moment. I'm Jeff Weston. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, is it my turn? That's Sasha. That's Jeff. Let the ladies go first. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye. Thank you.